Well, today we're uh, finishing up our month-long study together uh, through the book of Habakkuk. I've certainly enjoyed being able to spend a little more concentrated time in this little three-chapter book, one of the minor prophets. I hope you have as well. Let me, uh, let me kind of bring us up to speed, kind of recapping where we've been so far in the book. Um, the prophet begins by complaining to God. He complains that his people are really messing up. They're bad people. They're, they're not living in, uh, in righteousness. They're not living the way that God wants them to live. It's very clear. And God doesn't seem to notice or doesn't seem to care. And so the prophet begins by complaining to God about these things. And God answers, I am raising up the Chaldeans, the the Babylonians, and they will be my instrument of uh, deserved wrath upon my people. At this point, then the prophet really starts complaining. Lord, you can't do that. This this is a paraphrase, by the way. You can't do that. You are pure and holy. And those people are really bad. They're way worse than we are. This just isn't right. And God answers again. I know who they are. They are very wicked. And they will get what they deserve. They will rise, but they will fall hard. And my righteous ones are going to live. They are going to live by faith. Even in the midst of calamity. They're going to live in an entirely different way than the ways that the world offers. Then the woes of the wicked, the unavoidable results of living in a way that is contrary to the will and character of God are spelled out under five different headings concluding with the ultimate error at least what I call the ultimate error of uh, worshipping false gods of idolatry so how does Habakkuk respond to all of this how does his unique dialogue with God affect him what kind of practical guidance does his unique experience give us Where does Habakkuk end up? Well, we get the answer to this in chapter 3, which is very different than the first two chapters. It is a prayer, a psalm. It was probably used by others later as a tool for worship, and it was almost certainly intended to be sung. Notice the beginning superscription, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigianoth, which is a strange Hebrew word that most um, scholars believe, we're not sure, but they believe that it has to do with musical instruction or perhaps a a certain type of musical instrumentation. Note also the concluding uh, subscription, to the choir master with stringed instruments. So where does Habakkuk end up? In prayer. In this he has shown me something important and I hope he will show it to you as well. Prayer is more than a thing we do. It is the place to be. The righteous live by faith. I think this really is the central message of the book of Habakkuk. And living by faith means living by prayer. Habakkuk finds himself in the midst of messed up people. But that is not where he locates himself. 
Not ultimately, not at the end of his encounters with God, not at the end of his book. Habakkuk lives in a region of the world that is about to be overrun by vicious invaders with an uncompromising lust for power. But that region neither defines his life nor determines his destiny. He doesn't live in primary relationship with those scary people. Habakkuk experiences a world that is out of step with its creator. But he is getting in step. He is striving to live by faith. At the end of his book, the reasons for Habakkuk's confusion and consternation haven't changed. And the worst hardships haven't even come yet. But he has made a monumental discovery and he acts upon it. Whatever else may be going on around him, he is going to trust in God. He is going to seek to connect and stay connected with the holy and righteous source of life. At the end, he is in the place of prayer. And prayer is more than a thing we do. It is the place to be. What does Habakkuk's place of prayer look like? Well, let's read it. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, once again we give you thanks and praise for your word. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your kindness to us. So you have guided us. You have guided us through the apostles and prophets. You have guided us especially through you, Lord Jesus, God the Son, and by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that you would guide us here today through your word, that we might hear and respond in faith to those things that you want us to hear today. Lord, help us to have courage and wisdom. And we pray these things in your name and for your sake. Amen. So kind of like we did last week, I'd like us to just read through this chapter, but I'm going to read through it a section at a time and then make comments about each section as we go. So let's begin. Uh, Habakkuk chapter 3. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigianoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Here, right up front, is Habakkuk's petition, what he wants from God. I find it interesting that, that in Habakkuk's petition, he begins by saying, I know about your work and it scares me. I'm, I, I, um, I fear it. And then he says, revive it, make it known. So like, I, I, your work scares me, bring it. Which sort of indicates that even in this petition, we see that the prophet sees that it is God and what God is doing that really matters. He asks for God to revive and reveal His work in the present day. God is not simply the source of power and favor to be applied to Habakkuk and his circumstances. He is no vending machine God. Habakkuk apparently sees at this point that his connection to the living God is what is significant and vital. His connection to the living God. 
His connection to the world around him, to the events of his day, to the hopes and fears of his times are secondary. God does not exist to make Habakkuk's wishes come true. Habakkuk is here to see God's will be done. Habakkuk's attitude in prayer is one of utter humility before God. He knows something of God and his work and this knowledge fills him with fear, with awe. And still he says, bring it. And then he says this, in wrath, remember mercy. What a beautiful line. Really, what a beautifully balanced line. He calls upon God to show his character in its fullness as his work is made manifest. He is the God of holiness. Wrath against evil is right and good, even necessary. But he is also, at the same time, one and the same, the God of love and grace. He remembers his mercy And so, there is always hope. And this is embodied in the petition that Habakkuk makes right up front in his prayer. Verse 3. God came from Timon. Some translations actually don't make this all past tense, but it make it present or sort of an ongoing sense. For instance, uh, some would say, instead, God comes from Timon. In the ESV, they use the past tense. I'm going to do some present tense just so you know as we go. And the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. Here's an interesting little sidelight before we read on. Selah. Do you know there's only one other book besides Habakkuk where you find that word anywhere in the whole Bible? Anybody want to guess what book that is? Exactly right. Oh, you guys have studied your Bible some. Good for you. Yeah, Selah. It's only found in the Psalms, which is one of the things that gives us a clue to the nature of this chapter of Habakkuk. It's like a psalm. It is a psalm. Um, Selah, by the way, um, is a word that people actually don't know uh, exactly what it means. Uh, scholars will, will write papers and stuff, but nobody knows for sure what it means. They're pretty sure it has to do with something with either musical instruction or uh, poetic instruction, performance instruction. Um, the general consensus is that it means pause. So we're pausing here for a minute before we read on. Uh, it could also maybe mean get louder or get softer if you're using musical instruments. Um, Going on, his splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light, rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the, nation, then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. In this section, the prophet's prayer moves to praise. A renewed view of God consistent with his self-revelation in history, nature, and prophecy. Some call this section a theophany, a vision of God. That what's happening here is that the prophet is having this sort of otherworldly vision of God and then shares poetically what's in there. In poetic brilliance, he makes clear the majesty of the one to whom he is speaking. Glorious and praiseworthy in every place there is, heaven and earth. 
bright as light itself, holding lightning, or in other translations, holding the sun and the moon in his hand. Master over the most fearful realities in human existence, things like pestilence and plague. Like a warrior king taking stock, shaking nations and mountains, causing enemies to tremble. He also shows the important context of his prayer. What's happening? What is the context of this, of this encounter between the prophet and God? It is this. God is coming. Like he came at the time of the Exodus. This is what Mount Timon and, and, uh, or Timon and Mount Paran are all about. It's the southern region where uh, traditionally, historically, um, God came at the time of the Exodus. He came to guide his people and he came up from the south. Like he did before, God is going to come. The prophet is saying, note that along with his renewed vision of God, the prophet also then gains a new vision of his enemies. Kushan and Midian, Midian are probably uh, synonymous names and they represent historical em- enemies of the people of God. God is coming, they are in trouble. All of this revealed, by the way, before the Babylonian conquest of Judah has even begun. Verse 8. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Selah. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with horses, the surging of mighty waters. To drive home the point of God's greatness, his sovereign power, Habakkuk presents a a kind of battle scene. God against other would-be rivals, powerful rivals, nature and nations. And Almighty God's victory is certain. The prophet and all others in prayer to Yahweh God are going to the right place. This section of Habakkuk's prophecy also helps us to understand a little more about why God is coming. God is coming. Why? Because He rules the universe. All nature is His to command. Its existence and overwhelming power show His greatness and beauty. He appears whenever and wherever He chooses. And God also rules over the nations. They rise and fall by His will and under His authority. And if they don't realize and acknowledge this truth, they will. 
God is coming to crush the way of the wicked, which, notice, is the way that is hidden, small, deceptive, dishonest, cowardly, smoke and mirrors. This is the way of evil. Verse 14. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. It is the way of evil to do bad things and then claim they've done nothing at all. To do things in secret. To cover up. To lie. That's the way of evil. Ah, but the way of God is quite different. He does things in a more open, honest, noble, great, clear for all to see sort of way. Who can miss this? Verse 15. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. There it is for all to see. God is also coming to save his people and their king, Habakkuk says. You went out, or other translations, you go out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. It is not difficult for us to see a veiled foreshadowing of Jesus in these words. The king who would die and then rise and would thereby save God's people. What God is after, what his work is going to accomplish, is not the mere political and military success of his people on earth, but their eternal salvation into an everlasting, life-giving connection with Him. And this was yet to be accomplished once and for all by Jesus. But it is also being experienced by Habakkuk sometime around 605 B.C. as he was living by faith, as he was living in prayer. Finally, The last section of Habakkuk's prayer and of his book I call the God and Me section. If what God is after is not simply something he will accomplish through us or things he will do for us but a life he will share with us then what is happening between God himself and his own people is of greater and more lasting significance than what is happening around them or to them. Let me say that again. I think what we're seeing here is an eternal truth that's very important for us today just as it was in that day. And that is that what is happening between us and God is of much greater significance right now than anything that is happening to us or around us in the world in which we live. And what is happening at the end between Habakkuk and Yahweh God is prayer. The prophet is helping us still today to to see something very important. Prayer is more than a thing we do. It is the place to be. He has suggested the vital context for his prayer and our prayers. God is coming. He has helped us see why God is coming because he rules all nature and all nations and he acts in real time in real space to save his people. Now I see the relationship getting even more personal in prayer and going something like this. God is coming. Who wants to know?
I do. Who are you? So now the cheeky prophet, named for a garden plant, we've called him the prophet Cucumber. Habakkuk also works. Now he shares in prayer who he is in relationship with God. Verse 16. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. He is, first of all, a trembling man. He knows himself to be located in a certain place, a place from which he is powerless to remove himself. It is the place of mortal vulnerability. He knows the fear of God not because God has revealed himself to be his enemy, but because God is awesome. He is almighty, all-knowing, all-seeing, morally perfect. And Habakkuk is none of these things. Life eternal belongs to God, and without God's help, it cannot belong to Habakkuk. He rightly trembles before him as he continues to confess himself in prayer. Reading on. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. He is then also a waiting man. In prayer, the prophet has developed and now demonstrates an attitude of obedient and confident waiting. And again, well before the Babylonian calamity hits, he expresses assurance that in God's time, at the right time, God will see that they meet the rightful demands of undiluted justice. Verse 17. Though the fig tree should blossom, nor fruit... Oh, I don't know if I said that right. Let me start again. I didn't say it right, did I? Thank you. That was rather significant. Listen carefully to this as I now try to read carefully this. (laughs) Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation." He is a connecting man. What a beautiful profession of faith. What valuable flash of insight into the right and proper goals of a righteous man living by faith and truly living in prayer. Habakkuk is not, when all is said and done, interested merely in the blessings God might provide him. He says that even if such blessings do not come, he will continue to reach for his real goal and rejoice in its step-by-step realization. At the end, what is Habakkuk after? The same thing God is after with him. Connection. The prophet's real and ultimate goal is connecting now and forever with God. Finally, verse 19. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Finally, he is a realizing man. At the very end, Habakkuk proclaims by faith who God is and what God is doing for him. He realizes God's powerful and positive presence in his life. 
God has fashioned him into this righteous one living by faith and living in prayer. And this wonderful approach to life, it seems to me, at least is at least part of the reality captured by the imagery of the deft and strong feet of a deer fearlessly leaping between rocks and hard places on the heights. Troubles in life, personal disappointments, unanticipated setbacks, national crises, a world in disarray, yes, but God is with me. And God will be with me. His love is sure. His purposes will be done. So, in prayer, no matter the circumstances, I can leap high and far and without fear, knowing I am leaping in truth, now and ever, into the waiting arms of strength and love and life himself. It took Habakkuk quite a while to get there, it seems, to the place where he ended up, to the place of prayer. Complaining came first. Lots of complaining. It will take us a while to get to the place of prayer, too. But it is where we want to be headed. It is where we want to end up. For prayer is more than a thing we do. It is the place to be. Like the prophet Cucumber before us, let us leap into prayer today, for we are leaping today and tomorrow into God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the wisdom of the prophet that you gave to him, that he spoke out, that was remembered and written down, and so we have it here today. And we too can benefit from the insights and the experience that a prophet from 2,600 years ago had Lord it is as we have seen all month long it is fresh it is new and it is valid for people modern people living today just as it was for people living then Lord I pray that you would continue by your grace according to your holiness and power because of your love, that you would continue to draw us into yourself. That you would help us to know that we are located in you before we're located anywhere else. And so we have joy and hope and confidence and resources beyond our imagining and strength beyond our own and a purpose for being here that matters and that matters eternally. Lord, help us to keep living into that reality, to keep living into that place of 
partnership with you, union with you, Lord, into that place of prayer. And we pray these things in your name and for your sake. Amen.